We open in God's Word this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the great chapter in the Bible on the resurrection. It would be appropriate to read the whole chapter, but it's very long, 58 verses, so we won't be doing that. We're just going to read the first 20 verses and then pick up at verse 51. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, that is Peter, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed." Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God." Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable." But now is Christ risen again, risen from the dead, and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Then we turn to verse 51 and read to the end of the chapter. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We read this far in God's holy and inspired word. This morning we're going to look at the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 17 on page 10 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 17 on page 10. We're looking at the Apostles' Creed here. The first article that has to do with his exaltation, or his, uh, which is his resurrection. Question 45. What doth the resurrection of Christ profit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death, that or so that he might make us partakers of that righteousness which he had purchased for us by his death. Secondly, we are also by his power raised up to a new life. And lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. I believe that the third day he rose again. The Catechism asks us just one question about that. Not, did it really happen? Not the details or the fact of the physical and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, but this What does it matter to you as a Christian that Christ rose again on the third day? It treats this article of the Apostles' Creed, the third day he rose again from the dead, in, I'll say, typical, comforting, and personal uh, fashion, as the Heidelberg Catechism does. It sets before us the firmness of our faith, which holds for true all that God has revealed to us in His Word. There's no question here about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Instead, the Catechism goes to the heart of the matter. What does this matter for you as a Christian? What does the resurrection of Christ profit us? And the answer is one filled with blessing and comfort for the believer. You say this morning, I believe... The third day he rose again from the dead. And then out of that come an abundance of blessings set before us here. Now, this is not to say that the, the resurrection, the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is never challenged. In fact, what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, Paul is answering a challenge to the resurrection. The challenge is not first to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but is a challenge to the resurrection of believers in Corinth. One of the main errors was that they denied the physical bodily resurrection of believers, your and my resurrection. And that was a result of their philosophical Greek dualistic thinking concerning the material and the spiritual world. The material world is evil and true deliverance for the soul comes from escaping the body. You recognize that thinking if you know anything about Greek literature, philosophy, and mythology. And Paul 
combats that thinking. He answers that thinking by linking the resurrection of Jesus Christ to our own resurrection. If one is true, the other is necessarily true. If Christ is raised from the dead, we also will be raised from the dead. If we are raised from the dead, Christ must have been raised from the dead. If we are not risen from the dead, if there's no resurrection, then also is Christ not raised. And, and the apostle makes a point of that by repeating it over and over. In verse 13, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. Again in verse 16, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And then in verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And really what the apostle is saying is this, that there's a necessary connection between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our resurrection. Or we could put it this way, that in his resurrection, great blessings come to us as believers. And that's what we want to consider this morning, the blessings of the resurrection. The theme is, because he lives. You recognize those words from a familiar hymn, but they are really the antithesis or the opposite to what the Apostle says here. The Apostle says, if Christ be not raised, if Christ be not raised, and then he lays out what would be true if he's not raised. This morning, we're going to look at that positively, because he lives. And because he lives, these three things are true. There is resurrection victory, there are resurrection blessings, and we have a resurrection hope. First, resurrection victory. You catch that note of victory here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in several places that we read in Verse 20, now is Christ risen from the dead. In verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. In verse 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the victory that's spoken of here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the victory over death and the grave. And that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First, by his resurrection... He has overcome death. Those are the words of the Catechism. He has overcome death. Now, before every victory, there is a struggle. And the struggle with death is familiar to us. Death comes with great success. 100% of us die. Death does not discriminate between young and old, male and female or race, or color, we can expect death. And we have to deal with death in our lives over and over again as we bring one and then another to the grave. And death is not only something that happens outside of us, but death is the substance of our own pilgrimage, what our life is. Our whole life is a passing through the valley of the shadow of death. So we have what we sometimes call near brushes with death, a close accident. We become sick and diseased. Friends our age catch terminal diseases. And we ourselves are in the process of dying from the moment that we are born. And we don't like it. 
There's an aversion to death. There's a fear of death. There's a terror in death. And we are in, again, this constant struggle. How different life would be if there were no death. How happy would our existence be? Psalm 88, the psalmist describes it this way. Verses 3 through 5. My soul is full of trouble. My life draweth nigh unto the grave. I'm counted with them that go down into the pit. And I'm as a man that hath no strength. He, he contemplates death and it saps strength from him. He says, I'm free among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave whom thou rememberest no more. And they are cut off from thy hand. So... We're in this struggle. And now to us in this constant struggle come these beautiful words this morning. He has overcome death. He has overcome death. There's victory. That means, first of all, that Christ himself had to enter into this struggle with death. And we've seen that he did that in our suffering. Like ours, his life was a struggle, a constant struggle with death. But he alone entered into this struggle with the purpose and the goal of overcoming it and defeating it. And that struggle came to him, especially on the cross, where all the weight of the wrath of God came upon him and where he felt that the wages of sin is death and where he paid the penalty and the price for, for sin. And as we read here in 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin. He took that sting so that we can say, Oh, death, where? is thy victory. And so as we've looked at the suffering of Jesus Christ in past weeks, we've, we've seen, him, seen him in this struggle with death till finally, as we saw last week, he's dead and buried. And now think of that Sabbath, that Jewish Sabbath in the life of the disciples. The Savior whom they had thought was the Messiah and had come to deliver Israel, is dead, buried. That had to be the quietest day ever. Confusing for the disciples. It seems that death has overcome him. And yet it hasn't. And here's the the point here, the victory, Christ has overcome death and the grave. We know from last week that he entered into death and the grave simply to change them, simply to sanctify them, to turn death from being an end into it being a pathway into glory. And so on the third day, he arose, and that's the overcoming. For the first time in the history of the world, death is confronted with this fact that there is a man, a real man, who is stronger himself than death. He is the one who declares, I am the resurrection and the life. We have foreshadowings of this in the Old Testament. There are a couple who slipped through the grasp of death, Enoch and Elijah, who were taken up bodily into heaven. Others who slipped from the grasp of death, Moses, 
and others who were raised back to an earthly life. But all the way from Adam to Christ, death has reigned victorious and mown down generation after generation, rich and poor, rulers and subjects are all its victims, even children, deaths of children. We read them in the Old Testament. But now, is Christ risen? He has overcome death and the grave. Death, we might say, is dead. By his resurrection, he's overcome it. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where thy victory? There is, beloved, nothing so central to the Christian faith, nothing so important and essential to the good news of the gospel than the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what the apostles preached on the day of Pentecost. The first, we might say, Christian sermon. Peter says this, that the one who you've taken by wicked hands and crucified and slain, this Jesus God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of them. And so Paul declares in what we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And the Apostle Paul is saying, this is essential to the gospel that I've preached unto you. Don't say no to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the message with that declaration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the call that comes with it is to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to repent of sin and to believe. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The promise is that all who believe in Jesus Christ, for them, death has been overcome. It has no more power. It is the abolishing of sin. And it is a pathway into the glorious presence of the Savior. There's victory. Christ has overcome. And in every victory, there's celebration. And the celebration is the spoils of the war. The spoils of the battle. And that's really the blessing that's focused on here in this Lord's Day of the Catechism. There are spoils that Christ has received through his victory. And now he distributes those spoils to us. What are the blessings of the resurrection? Three of them here. Two in the present and one in the future. One is our hope. Two are ours now, and the, the catechism points to them this way. First, by his resurrection he has overcome death, so that he might make us partakers of that righteousness which he hath purchased for us by his death. By his death he purchased something, and he arose so that he might share the spoils 
with us. That's the way it's put in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. And then it says this, now he that ascended, that is Jesus Christ, who ascended to give gifts, who's victorious. What is it but that he also descended first into the lower part of the earth? His burial. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So up from the grave comes the Savior with great blessings to give to us. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't so much secure these blessings, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is concerned with the distribution of these blessings and the joy and the celebration of them among his people. And the first great treasure is our righteousness, that we may be made partakers of that righteousness which he purchased for us by his death. Now, what is righteousness? Well, you understand the truth of justification, that I am right with God. This has to do with my standing and my relationship with God. And we know that we are not righteous before God by nature or in ourselves or on account of anything that we do or accomplish, that man fell from his original state of righteousness and the result for him was enmity with God and he came under the curse of sin. But now Christ has overcome death so that we might be righteous. He's reconciled us to God. He's reestablished us in a right relationship with God. And the Catechism here reflects the language of Romans chapter 4, verse 25, which says he was raised for our justification. Literally, he was raised on account of our justification. And the idea is this, that already in his death, he secured our righteousness. He purchased our righteousness. And then he was raised on account of that, because he had our righteousness completed and accomplished. He was raised. Death couldn't hold him. He was victorious. And his victory was this, to bring the blessing of righteousness to us. The spoils of the battle. He purchased our righteousness. That means my sins were imputed to him. He suffered what I deserved, and his innocence was counted as mine. So that Lord's Day 23, it's, I'm viewed by God this way, as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Yes, as if I had fully accomplished all obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. He brings the spoils of the battle to us. And it tells us, this great treasure does, that all our righteousness is to be found in Jesus Christ alone. We are not to look for it in ourselves. And by faith and repentance, we let go of self and look to and cling to Christ as our own. This morning when we say, I believe that the third day he rose again from the dead, the promise of the resurrection calls us to look away from ourselves to Jesus Christ. 
in the joy of forgiveness. I don't need to keep on digging the sins of the past up to see whether they're truly forgivable. In the joy of the forgiveness of sins, I don't need to keep looking at myself and, and my own soul or my own strength of faith to find something that will encourage me. No, He, Christ, has overcome death and the grave. And I stand in Christ before God. That means the fear of death is gone. The sting of death, which is sin, is destroyed. And there's no terror of hell before me as I stand before God. That's justification. And that's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 and 17, when he says this, If Christ be not risen... Then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. And then again in verse 17, If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. And he's saying, no, Christ is risen. And so we haven't believed in vain. We haven't preached the gospel in vain. We are not false witnesses of God. There is victory. And the victory is this, that you are no longer in your sins. If Christ be not raised, still we are under the guilt and the power of sin. But Christ has overcome. And what's especially beautiful about this idea of Christ being raised for our justification is this. That He's raised because He wants to bring to us the message and the experience of the forgiveness of our sins. And that's pointed to in a word in the Catechism. We are made partakers of His righteousness. Partakers. The contrast here is to an observer. And we can think of Psalm 23. Thou preparest a table before me, that's partaking, in the presence of my enemies, their observers. When Jesus Christ died and when He rose again, the disciples observed. They watched from afar. But we're not observers. We are participants. We receive this blessing of righteousness. And we do that in the preaching of the gospel. That's what the apostle again is telling us here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what I preached unto you. And our preaching was not vain, because our preaching came not only with the, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but the promise in it to you that sin has been defeated, and that you have victory over death and the grave in Jesus Christ. This is what Christ comes to declare. And it's interesting when you look at Ephesians chapter 4, the ascension of Jesus Christ and the distribution of gifts. He ascended that He might give gifts unto men. The gifts spoken of there in Ephesians chapter 4 are all the teaching gifts in the church related to the gospel. Because He comes to us with this good news. Forgiven. Righteous. We are made partakers of His righteousness. The other blessing that comes to us in the present is mentioned in the Catechism this way. Secondly, we are also by His power raised up to a new life. That's not speaking of our future new life. That's speaking of the new life 
that we have in Jesus Christ already now in the present. The life of sanctification. The life of holiness. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. That's the life that it's speaking of. In Lord's Day 16, when we looked at the death and burial of Jesus Christ, we confessed that our old man and his desires and power die and are buried with Jesus Christ. Now we have the, the opposite, the flip side to that. And it's this, that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a new life that has power over sin is given to us. Not only are the desires buried, but there are new desires. Not only is the old man put to death, but there's a new man, and we are new creatures in Jesus Christ. And in Scripture, that's described as the resurrection life of Jesus Christ in us. Think of what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. And this is the power to enable you and me to give us strength as Christians to live in love and obedience to the glory of God. Jesus puts it this way in John 15, Without me, ye can do nothing. The Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the new life, the powerful resurrection life of Jesus Christ in which his conquered sin is implanted into us by the Holy Spirit and it becomes the dominant force and motivation for our living. I am raised up to a new life. You believe that the third day he rose again from the dead? This is the blessing. I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ. Now, the Scriptures use a couple of illustrations to, to, to help us understand this. There's a very important one in Romans chapter 6, and it's not only in Romans 6, but really throughout the New Testament. And it really correlates our spiritual life to what happened to Jesus Christ in His burial and His resurrection. And the correlation is this, that in his burial, I am buried, and in his resurrection, I am raised up to a new life. There's a spiritual connection and union. Not only did he do this for me, but I do this with him. And so Romans 6 says, we are buried with Christ into his death, and we are raised with him again into newness of life, buried with him in his death, and raised again to newness of life. As we think about that, we realize that there are parts of us that need to die, that constantly need to die. This is called the mortification of the old man. There are sinful desires, evil thoughts, hatred, envy, actions and words that I use that need to die. And Romans chapter 6 is telling us that these have all, as it were, been put in the grave with Jesus Christ, so that I am indeed dead to sin 
That means that the activity and the movement of sin is restricted. That sin is a dying force. That it's coming to an end. I suppose it might be like burying something or someone alive. And in that casket you hear the clanging and the banging, but soon it will cease. And that's true of the old man of sin. And that points as well to the calling that we have with regard to the old man of sin. Don't feed him. We're buried with Christ. And then there's a new man. He has come out of the tomb. He's alive. And he, as it were, is, is throwing the dirt on the tomb to smother the life of the old man. And that's what we find in us, this constant struggle with sin. And in this constant struggle with sin, the new man and his heavenly desires and his love for God and his desire to please God, as it were, snuff out the life of the old man. I'm a new man in Jesus Christ. Now you might ask yourself sometime, do I have the new life of Jesus Christ? Am I raised with him? And that's very difficult for others to measure. It's not like taking someone's pulse. But you can know. And here's how you know. That you have spiritual and heavenly desires. That you believe the gospel. That you repent of your sins. That you long to be with and to be like Jesus Christ. That you hate the world and you hate the flesh that you're throwing, as it were, the dirt on the coffin to smother the life of the old man in your continual struggle with sin. We're new creatures in Jesus Christ. That's the one illustration. The other illustration is the one in John chapter 15. And it's of taking dead branches and grafting them into the living vine. And Jesus says, I am the vine, my father is the husbandman, and he grafts you in to me. And grafted into Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ flows into us. And this means that the source of our new life, the source of our sanctification is in Jesus Christ alone. It's there that he says, without me ye can do nothing. And then planted into Jesus Christ... We bear fruit. And Jesus puts that before us as well. Fruitfulness. The result is fruitfulness. And he says, abide in me. That you may bear much fruit. As we talk about sanctification, it's always important for us to remember that new creatures in Jesus Christ does not mean perfection in this life. We struggle with sin. We succumb to the power of sin sometimes. But we get up and we press on in the Christian life, in the victory that's ours. And that's the last verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for that ye know your Labor is not in vain in the Lord. We have the victory in Jesus Christ, so press on in the Christian life. This is not a waste of time. 
We're new creatures in Jesus Christ. We sometimes call this progressive sanctification. When the sun comes up in the morning, it's a process. When a plant comes to life in the spring, it's a process. And so it is in the Christian life. At first, one first regenerated by the Holy Spirit is immature in the Christian faith, like a babe, the Bible says. Heavenly desires, holiness, do not come all at once. And that requires of us patience with others as they grow in the Christian life. Patience and understanding with our children as they come to see and understand spiritual realities. How important that is in the life of the church. But daily and week by week and month by month and year by year, this new life expresses itself more and more in the Christian. Still always just a new beginning, of this, a small beginning of the new obedience. But press on as new creatures. The second blessing here, we are also by his power raised up to a new life. Is that your confession today? Or I could put it this way, is that your confession every day when you wake up? I'm a new creature. I am raised up to a new life in Jesus Christ. We ought to, and we we should confess this every day. Think of David, I'll say, going out to battle with Goliath. Fearless. And this is how we can take on the spiritual struggles of each new day. I am a new creature in Jesus Christ. Not only will He give me in a day heavenly and spiritual desires, but powers to fight and to overcome sin, to have victory in this life, and to press on in the Christian faith. And so I confess this, I'm a new creature. But then there's also a calling. And that is to take on, to engage in the battle with sin. That's the way Paul describes it later in Romans 6. We talked about the earlier verses in that chapter, being buried and risen with Christ. And this is what he says later in the chapter, verses 12 and 13. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. You are alive from the dead. Reckon yourselves indeed dead to sin. Think about this. Count it that way. Say this to yourself. And press on in the Christian life. You truly believe the resurrection, you'll engage the enemy. Then there's one more important blessing here, and it's this in the Catechism the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. We see two things there first, the connection between his resurrection and ours. And the resurrection that's being spoken of here now is the bodily resurrection. 
that we are made new creatures by the power of the Holy Spirit guarantees this, that we have the beginning of eternal joy in our hearts and that life, that life of Jesus Christ cannot be snuffed out. And we know at the moment of death that when our body goes to the grave, the soul immediately passes to Christ who has purchased it and it's freed, not from the prison of this body, but from the strongholds of sin. And the body, it lays in the grave. But not the body of Jesus Christ. That's risen. And there's a connection. And we see that again here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If Christ be not raised, then the dead are not raised. If in this life only we have hope, we're of all men most miserable. But the point is, Christ is risen. And because he's risen, the grave has lost its victory and its hold. We sleep in the grave. And we sleep in hope of our own blessed resurrection. Now more is going to be said about this as we move on in the catechism and come to the article of the Apostles' Creed, I believe, the resurrection of the dead. It's always wonderful for us to think about this. That these bodies are going to be raised. That these eyes are going to see the Lord when He stands on the earth in the latter day. What will that body be like? Probably the strongest statement on it in the Bible is simply this. That our bodies will be made like to his glorious body. And we know a few things about the resurrection body of Jesus Christ, but there's so much more mystery that surrounds it than what we can understand. We will have bodies in the resurrection that are so glorious that they will be able to live in the presence of of God. In those perfect bodies will be delivered from sin and all its consequences. The marks of sin will be removed. There won't be any sign of death, any disease, any mark of old age. We will not grow old and weary. We will not have sickness or the sorrows that come with the process of change in this life. There will be no invalids, no blind, no deaf, no disabled. Every mind will be a sound mind. And we will live in perfection before God. There won't be marrying or giving in marriage. Humanity will be completed. We won't need to eat or drink. But we will eat and drink in celebration. And all of that, which is the abolishing of sin and the new heavens and the new earth, we will experience in this body. And so we lay a body in the grave and we will lay our heads down at death in hope of our blessed resurrection. That's the meaning of this article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe that the third day 
he rose again from the dead, that he has overcome death, that he distributes the blessings of that to me, that he comes in the preaching of the gospel so that I might be partaker of his righteousness, that he comes in the power of the Holy Spirit and makes me a new creature, and that he will, by the power of his resurrection, raise our dead bodies and make them like his glorious body to live forever in the presence of God. He arose. He's the victor. Amen. Father, we are thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the blessings that we experience now and the hope that is ours through this. Lord, teach us to look away from ourselves,